Marshall slides it around the rim. He's got Eichel, top of the left circle, closing in. He shoots, he scores! Jack Eichel, power play goal! Because one hour isn't enough, we welcome you back for hour number two of the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Locke looks up, taps it back, Dodonov in the middle, he shoots, he scores! Jubilation! Vegas in overtime! Chevrolet, Fox Sports Las Vegas Studios, and live at lvsportsnetwork.com with your hosts, Darren Millar and Ryan Wallace. Hour number two, the VGK Insider Show rolling along here on a Thursday. We're going to get to some of your questions, mailbag, uh, some topics you want us to go a little bit more in-depth into. So we're going to do that here. We're going to get to one-timers in just a little bit. We're not going to talk about too many men on the ice. That is done. It's over with. I don't want to talk about it anymore. So, Chris Chapman, let's get right into the, the mailbag questions. And, and the first one that I want to start with has to do with the Stanley Cup playoffs overall as a whole. Now, everybody remembers round number one of the playoffs this year, right? You had a great weekend of Game 7s. Five game sevens in a row on a Saturday and a Sunday. It was really, really well done in the first round. I would argue that the best matchups happened in that first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So the question that we received on the mailbag was something to the effect of, have have the playoffs been underwhelming? And I think there's a lot of different ways that you can look at it. Obviously, game sevens are the bread and butter of the National Hockey League. When you factor in sudden death overtime and Game 7 and that anything can happen at any given moment, that to me is the pinnacle of playoff hockey. It just is. You're on the edge of your seat. You don't know what's coming next. There's so much built-in anxiousness and anxiety that it's just what makes sports so damn special. So, Chapman, to you, like, I know that we've seen a lot of goals. I know that teams have gone off. I know that we've seen some individual performances that we're, we haven't seen in quite some time, specifically Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid, but there's been a lot of blowouts. I, I would say an inordinate an amount of blowouts. There have been a lot of series, specifically Tampa versus Florida, and literally anyone that Colorado's been involved in, including the Stanley Cup Final, it's been so one-sided, so lopsided, that it's been somewhat unwatchable. Like, Have the playoffs been underwhelming for you? I, I think maybe to a certain extent I could see the argument. Because we're at the crescendo. We are at mm-hmm. the the final act of the Stanley Cup final. And only two of the four games have been good. So yeah, I, I, I think in that regard, when when you when you expect this to be the 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 when you're watching a movie and you get to the climax, right? Like it's it's you expect to see Hulk slamming Loki to the ground multiple times to get you excited. You expect mm-hmm. to see the Marvel Universe open up. You expect to see Vader turning on on the Emperor. You, you're not getting that. Mm-hmm. The build-up, I think, the first round w- w- was great, but 
I think since the first round, I I, I, I look at some of these series. But, I think the Battle of Alberta was a bit underwhelming. I well, think, it was it was good, but it was too quick. Yeah, we we didn't get enough of it. Obviously, mm-hmm. the Lightning and the and the Panther series, which which the Battle of Florida, we all we wanted to see a good series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It stunk. The Rangers in Carolina was was I think an entertaining series. But how many people really watched all seven games of that series? Like, unless you were a Rangers or Carolina fan, you probably only had a passing interest in that series. The Colorado and St. Louis series, I think it had the potential to be good. But once Jordan Bennington got hurt, it was kind of like, eh, Colorado blew him out. I think it it has been a little a little disappointing. And I, I think... If Colorado puts the puts the nail in the coffin tomorrow night and they they beat the Tampa Bay Lightning, I think a lot of people are going to walk away saying, you know, we we had this build up, this team that was on the the, the precipice of 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 a historical run, three straight mm-hmm. Stanley Cups, against a team that was trying to start their own legacy, and the games weren't weren't good. They 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 were blowouts. I I think I think. People would kind of have a bit of a sour taste in their mouth. I, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that. I, I, I think, I think that's kind of where I'm at. Like, we've individually we've had a few games that have been really good, but mm-hmm. after the first round, I don't think we've had any series that have been. The Tampa Rangers series, I thought, was, was really good, but so I don't think it was as good as Tampa and Toronto. Well, that's the problem. The Stanley Cup playoffs peaked in round one. Right, like I, I don't think it's even an argument at this point, given what's happened, to to suggest that the best round of the Stanley Cup playoffs was round number one. Everything since then has been underwhelming. When that was the the baseline that you set for the playoffs, there was intrigue, there were close games, there were game sevens that you could get behind there was long overtime there was everything you wanted to see you needed to see from the stanley cup playoffs it was on full display in round number one and when you have such a good start to the postseason you're hoping that each successive round gets better and better and better and better and unfortunately that didn't happen because you had matchups in the first round that frankly shouldn't have happened until conference finals and i'm speaking specifically about toronto and tampa and like listen i get it it's ridiculous for me to even like put on the the toronto maple leafs that they should have won two rounds to get to the conference final but the fact of the matter is when you have tampa toronto in round number one that's not a first round series and like i don't know if the fix here is to go one through eight and to have one versus eight and two versus seven and put the actual advantage to higher seeds into it i don't know if that's the right answer i don't know if that makes for a better product at the end of the playoff series but the fact of the matter is it shouldn't peak in the first round and because of the way that divisions are set up and because of the strength within a certain division you get some of the best matchups right out of the bat and then you're left with mm, underwhelming stuff and to be honest like this matchup, Colorado-Tampa, should not be underwhelming, but it is because Tampa is running out of gas and Colorado had a cakewalk to the final. Yeah, I I think, I, I do think the fix is going back to one verse eight. Like, 
get rid of the the, the wild card because sometimes you 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 just I I mean if there's a if there's a division that has six teams that are good enough to make the playoffs, then so be it. Like so be it. I, I, I don't care. I want the best teams in the playoffs. I want the I, I guess the, 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 the other end of that is is Colorado did get the worst team that mm-hmm. they could have gotten, right? I think Minnesota finished ahead of finished ahead of of Minnesota. So Every round, Colorado got the lowest-seeded team that they could have played. They got the Blues. They got the Oilers. I, I, I think that the easy way to look at it is just give us one through eight. Mm-hmm. We, we, we live in an age where these guys are not traveling by bus. They're not traveling commercial. They're traveling on private charter flights. They're staying in luxury hotels. I don't think travel is an issue. Just give us the just give us the, the the one verse eight. Like I don't, I don't care about the the, the interdivision creating rivalry. You, you're going to create rivalries anyway. Like Detroit sure. and and Colorado, that rivalry existed because those two teams just hated each other. It wouldn't have mattered if they were on opposite sides of the playoff bracket. They 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 they, they just hated each other. I I, I think. The NHL tries too hard to, to to create rivalry. Just let it occur naturally. Like remember year one, the Golden Knights they played the Coyotes five times because the NHL yeah. was trying to force. Oh, we've got two teams that play in the desert. We want that rivalry. There was never a rivalry because Arizona sucked. So here's here's the interesting thing for me. Um, I don't necessarily care about rivalries so much as I care about the best teams getting to the level where they are playing the other best teams in the league. So, like, to me, right, like, there's been a collision course for Colorado and Vegas to, to play each other in the playoffs, and, and you certainly you'll take it whenever you can get it, but you want it in the Western Conference Final, right? Like, you want to see the best teams playing for all the marbles in a conference final. Unfortunately, it didn't happen for Vegas and Colorado when they played. The only way to build rivalries, Chapman, is to play teams in consecutive playoffs. The only way to build rivalries is to have a team have to come back and eliminate another team twice, or you finally get even from from a, a losing series the year before. The reason Vegas and San Jose was such a fierce, bitter rivalry, yes, not a major is important, but it's the fact that both teams were eliminated by the other in the playoffs. Both teams destroyed the dreams of the other in the playoffs. So every single game that they played had a little bit more meaning and it was a little bit more intense. I don't know how to make the playoffs more exciting because on its basic level, there's nothing more exciting than the Stanley Cup playoffs. I just know that I want to see some of these matchups later on. I don't want the best round of the Stanley Cup playoffs to be round number one. I want it to build and build and build. And I know that you're never going, you're not always going to get a seven-game classic in the Stanley Cup final. But it is so, so, so underwhelming when it is a lopsided series 
or it's very clear that one team stands above the other. And I know the Tampa Bay Lightning aren't done yet, but if this one's wrapped up in five games, it's going to feel, it's going to feel like an underwhelming playoff top to bottom because we, we deserved better in the Stanley Cup final and we just didn't get it. Yeah, and it's funny because I, I, I know when I was young, they used to do one through 16. Like to me, that's that's yeah. wild, because you yeah, ended up with fun. some 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 really interesting Stanley Cup finals. The Islanders and and the Flyers, for instance, they're only separated by like a two hour bus ride. Um, I don't I don't think that's gonna happen again. I I don't see a one through sixteen. But you're right. The the the, the playoffs should not peak with Tampa and Toronto in round one. Like that should not have been the pinnacle of the playoffs and it all being downhill. Since then, because I I don't know if if anyone would argue with me that that was the best series of the playoffs, and it's a shame that it happened six weeks ago. Like, how much better would it have been if that was the Eastern Conference Final? Tampa and Toronto with the right to go to the Stanley Cup Final, and it goes seven games. Everybody's talking about that Eastern Conference mm-hmm. Final. I mean, yeah, well, everyone's the, the, talking about it because. The Leafs finally won a first round series. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that too. Yeah. Um, where, where's Keenan Thompson when we need him? Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I just feel like when you give us the best matchups in the first round, it's it's kind of a disservice to your fans. Like I know that's not what the league intended. Like the league didn't mm-hmm. intend for for that to be the best series, but that's what happened. That's the way the chips fell. I think there's got to be a better way. And look, if you get a dud in the cup final, you get a dud. It's what it, it happens sometimes. It's not, it's not the first time, but when rounds two and three don't live up to rounds one, that's a problem. That's, mm-hmm. that's an issue. And, and in a league right. that, that you, you just signed this huge deal with ESPN and Turner, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're, you're bringing in more fans. You have more, more visibility you don't want duds in your most important games of of the season. You want you want exciting, interesting games, and and we we really outside of round one, I don't really feel like we got any series where, like, did you ever really feel like the Rangers were going to beat the Lightning? Uh yes, I did after game two, and okay. you know, partway through game three, but I, I I kind of felt like as soon as Tampa got a win, it was over. Did you and really it, feel it, like Edmonton? Had a shot against Colorado? No, no. So, Mike Smith happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and 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 granted, like, you, I'll be you, honest. You I'll play. be honest, Chapman. I I didn't think I didn't think Edmonton had a chance against L.A. And I like I recognize how ridiculous that sounds, but I thought the Los Angeles Kings were going to beat the Edmonton Oilers. I, I just I imagined. I just believed Mike Smith would show up. In game six or seven, and blow that series. I just yeah. did. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess in in part we could blame the Calgary Flames for kind of no showing, but to me that that's that's the series that just disappointed the most. The Battle of Alberta because it, yeah, it, it wasn't good. It, it wasn't a good series. None of the games were really great. I mean, there were some wild moments. No, oh, the it, game game one was good. Game one was good. Well, yeah, like, but the, but what was it? Nine six. 
Yeah, it, it was. I mean, but it was still six six in the third period. Yeah. Like it, it wasn't. It was a blowout. Sure, it was ridiculous. Yes, but it, it, at least it was fun. At least it was back and forth. Like at least the Edmonton Oilers came back and and made it a game. Like to me, it, it's it's not so much about. You can't predict these things. You can't predict how a series is going to go. I recognize that. I do. I just feel like there needs to be something in play or some type of legitimate actual advantage for the good teams to not have to play each other in the first round. I think that's really the the, the crux of my issue with the current playoff format because when you look at Tampa and Toronto, those two teams, they are too good to be playing each other in the first round. Uh, it's just the reality of the situation. And I know you got to beat who you got to beat and it's the, the path and all that, whatever. I just want to see the playoffs get better and better and better as the as as it goes on and it hasn't happened this year and it is underwhelming but I don't know if there's any clear cut way to make it better because you just cannot predict what's going to happen in these series. Let's switch gears here for a minute and get to a mailbag question from Tim Ward. He submitted this on Twitter at Ryan Hockey Guy at Magnum702. Uh, do you think the Golden Knights will change captains with new coach Bruce Cassidy and if so who would you or I, Chapman, pick? Um, I'm going to just kind of say it here. Yes, teams in the past have changed captains. They have they've moved the sea around to different players. I'm fully aware of that. And, you know, you look at San Jose, they did it a couple of times. You look at the Los Angeles Kings stripping Dustin Brown of the captaincy to give it to Andre Kopitar. Um, it isn't unprecedented, but in the in the... In, in, in the way the Golden Knights have gone about things, having not named a captain for the first three seasons, then going all in with Mark Stone, having him be the guy, I don't think that the captaincy is going to be moving to anyone other than Mark Stone. I think Mark Stone is this team's captain. I do believe that maybe just maybe you'll see a little bit of a shift in the alternates. If Riley Smith, if that reported contract that's been verbally agreed to is in fact going to happen, then Riley Smith will certainly be a part of that leadership group. Same with Alex Petrangelo, but I could see the Golden Knights opening it up to more than just Smith and Petrangelo. At various points last year, Jonathan Marcheseau wore a letter, Braden McNabb wore a letter, William Carlson wore a letter. Like You have no shortage of guys that are capable of wearing a letter for this team, but I don't get the sense that there's going to be an organizational shift in who has been and is going to be this team's leader. It's Mark Stone. It's going to be Mark Stone for the foreseeable future. I do not see a scenario in which the Golden Knights are going to move the captaincy away from Mark Stone. Yeah, I I don't think so either. I think Mark Stone is the guy. Um, You know, it is interesting, though, when Bruce Cassidy spoke to the media, he did mention that he did speak with Alex Petrangelo. So... While I, I don't think there's going to be a change, I, I will play devil's advocate here and say if for whatever reason Mark Stone was no longer the captain of the Golden Knights, I think it would be Alex Petrangelo who got the C. He's, he's done it before. Um, he, Whose team do you think it is? I think it's Mark Stone's team. Like I don't think there's any doubt about yeah. it that it's Mark Stone's team. Yeah. So I, yeah. I, I can't see a scenario, and unless Mark Stone retired tomorrow, I was like, yeah, I, I'm done. And the the team was in a situation where they didn't have a captain, and Mark Stone was not on the team. I think I think then 
you, you you look at other guys, and I think the two that would really jump out at me are Petrangelo and a guy you mentioned. Even though he he has never been the captain, I don't I don't really know how much consideration was put into him being the captain. But I think Jonathan Marshall would be a good captain as well. So um, you know, I I, I I I don't see it happening. Um, it's it's Mark Stone. It's Mark Stone's team until Mark Stone decides it's no longer his team. And and I think we're we're a couple of years away from that at least. Yeah, I, I I mean I I think that you're you're going to have Mark Stone as your captain until he retires. Like he, you've got him under contract. It's a long term contract. Uh, as long as he's playing, he's he's the guy. I I I understand why you'd ask the question, right? Because it wasn't until Pete DeBoer that the Golden Knights selected a captain because Pete was very much in in line with the with thinking that you should have and, and you want to have a captain i i don't have any issue with that whatsoever but i i don't think that you make a change there when there's been so much change swirling around the organization already and beyond that there are things mark stone brings to the table outside of just goals assist points the the leadership goes much deeper than that, and to me, it, it's Mark Stone's team. It's going to be Mark Stone's team for a while, and even if it's not his team, like even if three years down the road, it, the 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 team is is kind of Mark Stone adjacent. Jack Eichel has emerged. He has hit that peak, that pinnacle, that level. Um, it's still going to be Mark Stone as your captain. There's no rule that says you're best offensive player or the guy putting up the most points has to wear the letter, has to wear the C. It doesn't necessarily need to work that way. That's why I don't think there's going to be any type of change when it comes to the captaincy for the Golden Knights. Now, here's one that I I do want to get to um, today before we take a break. Um, This comes from Rita, one of our favorite listeners, interactors, all of that. Rita asked, why are Dallas fans so sour on Pete DeBoer as the new head coach? Um, and so I'll I'll try my best to to get into it. And I, I think certainly the idea, right, that the the Golden Knights power play was not particularly good. Special teams um, did not do them any favors this season is probably part of it. Um, but like, if I'm a Dallas Stars fan. I am in love with the idea of Pete DeBoer and his winning track record coming into this team. I think that if there's a coach in the league that can turn what the Dallas Stars have into a team that is competitive and consistent on a night-to-night basis, it's Pete DeBoer. I think that his coaching style mixes incredibly well with the pieces that they have there already. I think Dallas fans, and by extension hockey fans, are sour with, with Pete or they're they're sour with the idea is that Pete's got a reputation of being one of those coaches. He's got a reputation as a guy that comes in, gets great results, immediate results. He, he, he hits his peak in year number one, and then for whatever reason, things go a little bit more on the regressive side. And it has to do, I think, with how detail-oriented he is within his structures and what he wants his teams to do on the ice. There is little room for offensive creativity 
when it comes to Pete DeBoer and his systems. And if you have the players to play that way, if you've got the Joe Pavelskis that can go to the front of the net and the Jamie Benz that can go to the front of the net, and you've got the players on the back end that can sift pucks through and get them to the dangerous scoring areas, and you're willing to go there, you're going to have a lot of offensive success with Pete DeBoer. I just think that at some point, when it's when it's so demanding and there's lack of creativity, it becomes a message that, that doesn't age particularly well. And I think that Dallas fans are already thinking to year three and four when they should just enjoy the fact that for the first time in maybe legitimately four or five years, they're going to have a clear-cut identity. Yeah, Dallas has something that the Golden Knights don't have. And that's a young star player who can put up 40 goals, as Jason Robertson mm-hmm. did. I think mm-hmm. for, for Dallas fans, I think maybe it goes back to the bubble, and I think they probably know that their team wasn't as good as the Golden Knights in that series, but they watched their team outplay the Golden Knights, score the goals, get the goaltending, and I, I think if I'm being honest, that might worry me a little bit, knowing that in multiple playoff appearances, this team went to the Western Conference Final two years in a row, and then the goals dried up. I think that's a little bit worrying as a fan. Now, there, there's reasons for that, and, and I, I, I think you, you kind of alluded to a lot of it, but I think I think maybe Pete does have a reputation, maybe fair or unfair, as, as being a guy who, like you said, peaks in year one, year two, and then it, it progressively declines. I thought he was a good coach in New Jersey. He didn't last long, mm-hmm. but he got mm-hmm. them to a Stanley Cup Final. He was a good coach in San Jose. He was a good coach here. I don't know why people would be upset because Pete DeBoer is a good coach. I don't know if Dallas has the roster to win a Stanley Cup, but I think we'll, I think we'll having there. Pete on the bench certainly improves the team. I, I, I think Pete's a better coach than Rick Bonus. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I, I think that it's reactionary. I, I do believe that once the Dallas Stars get into the swing of what Pete wants them to do, they're going to be a team that's that's going to put some wins together. I, I really do believe that. Now, whether or not they're cup contenders, that remains to be seen. And that's actually an idea. It's a topic that we're going to explore in just a couple of minutes in one-timers. We'll be, we'll be back on the other side of the break. It's the VGK Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Maybe a two-on-one. Petrangelo gets it. He shoots. He scores. It's time for one-timers. One-timers. Short-handed goal. Alex Petrangelo. Quick looks at some of the biggest stories of the day on the VGK Insider Show. One-timers brought to you by Paul Powell. More lawyers, less fee. Look around the league. News and notes. We're going to get to Ottawa tomorrow. We're going to get to Ottawa tomorrow. There's some good news coming out of Ottawa, but that will come tomorrow. Today we're going to focus on curious things. And we talked about head coach Pete DeBoer in the previous segment. He had his introductory press conference yesterday with the Dallas Stars. And he kind of went into some of the ideas or some of the reasonings behind his decision to go to Dallas. The first one that he mentioned was that he wants to win a Stanley Cup. It's not a team that's rebuilding and that he believes that the Dallas Stars have the pieces to do it. Uh, Listen, I'm all for saying the right things. 
The Dallas Stars, in my estimation, do not have a Stanley Cup caliber roster. They just don't. Like, if Tyler Sagan can, like, return to form, if Jamie Benn can be productive offensively, maybe, just maybe, we can have that conversation. But, like, the Dallas Stars are a bubble playoff team to me, in my opinion. What say you, Chapman? Yeah, I I mean, you have to look at the fact that they are, um, they, they have good players, right? Like, they're, they're individually, they have good players. Joe Pavelski, fantastic. Jason Robertson, he's a kid. He's, he scored 41 goals last year. Rupe Hintz, he's a guy, 25, had a ton of goals last year for the Stars. After that, it's kind of a patchwork of veteran players uh, you mentioned Tyler Sagan, Jamie Benn. You're probably going to lose John Klingberg. Dennis Gurionov has never really achieved. I mean, granted, he's 24, but he kind of had that peak a couple of years ago, and he's never really gotten back there. You probably, well, I think you did lose Radulov, right? I think he went back to Russia. So it's a team that's it's got a really good couple of players, and I think Jake Ottinger's a really good goalie. But yeah. I think... After you get past the first few players on the Dallas Stars that they rely on to win games, I don't think there's a lot after the Jason Robertsons, the Joe Pavelski, the Hintzes. I, I just, mm-hmm. Tyler Sagan's going to be a year older. Jamie Benn is going to be another year older. And sure, Amir Haskinen's a star. But I don't know if he's a guy who can carry you. Like, I don't I don't see them as a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. I see them as a team that's battling for a playoff spot. But I don't, I, unless they go out and they, they do something incredible in the offseason, I don't see them being a, a, a Cup contender. Now, make, make no mistake. I think the Dallas Stars under head coach Pete DeBoer will make the playoffs. I don't know that I'm willing to get to a point where I say that they are one of the best teams in the league because well, that's what you have to be to be a Stanley Cup contender. Like, regardless of what happens this offseason, are the Dallas Stars going to go into next year uh, as as equals or thereabouts to Colorado? No, absolutely not. Well, no, and, and I'll say this. I don't think they're equal or whereabouts to a fully healthy Golden Knights team either. Sure. So, Fair. so... I, I think Vegas, if they're fully healthy, are better than the Dallas Stars. Vegas wasn't in the playoffs. So that's a team that could steal that playoff spot from Dallas. And you have to think that they will. Los Angeles is going to be better. Anaheim, the young core players are going to be better. Nashville, all right, maybe maybe not. No, they're not. But Minnesota not and St. Louis are still in their division. So going to be exactly who they are. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't anyway, see it. Um, I, I uh, the Nashville Predators bug me so much. Uh, more know, from Pete DeBoer. Um, in, in specifically talking about you know the the final couple of days in Vegas and and being relieved of his duties here and how that quote rattled him because you know he felt as a coaching staff this past season was one where the Golden Knights coaching staff coached more than they probably did at any other point in time dealing with all the injuries and trying to put the right pieces in place. Do you agree with Pete's assessment there? I think it's a fair statement because I don't know if rattled is the word I would use to describe it when I saw the news. I would say surprised. 
I, I, I wasn't anticipating it. So, so yeah, but I mean, you're you're not in it. Like no, he no, was, no, right? no. Like, he, he's, I, I he's can, fully I can vested. See, I mean, we were we were in the room when he had his end season media availability. Like he wanted to come back. And he coach. wanted another chance with this group because I think I think yeah. this team, he feels, and regardless of what he said in Dallas, I think he sure. felt that this team is probably a, a better cup contender than a lot of the teams that had openings. So I understand. I, I think rattled is probably a fair a fair word for him to use because, like I said, I was surprised. I think maybe you were surprised. I think a lot of other people were a bit surprised. So I can only imagine what it was like for him when he when he got that call to come in and meet with Kelly. I mm-hmm. I, I I think for him it, it probably was a bit shocking. I think he probably, especially because so much time had kind of passed sure. too. Like it was like two weeks I think after. Maybe even more after the the end of the season meeting. So, I I, I was surprised. I, I I and yeah, rattled is probably a good way to describe it. If I was him, well, yeah, if you're in it the way that he is, I I, I can understand that sentiment. I, I I think that there's not much more Pete DeBoer could have done this year to get the Golden Knights into the playoffs outside of the power play, right? And I mean that's going to be the the, the big thing that you that you look back on as, as an indicator or a reason or whatever, but you know the only area of improvement for the Golden Knights this year that would have been the difference in them getting to the playoffs would have been having a power play that came up with some timely goals over the course of 12 or 13 games. Really, that I mean, that's that's the degree there, and it wasn't it didn't happen. You weren't able to make it work. It is what it is, but you know, I, I don't generally look back on last season from Pete and the coaching staff as a season where they 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 didn't do their jobs I, I think more than anything they, they coached more last year than they had at any other point in time so from Pete DeBoer and the Dallas Stars to Pierre-Luc Dubois and the Winnipeg Jets this is an interesting story in in so far as you don't hear this often with restricted free agents that are two years away from unrestricted free agency. But Elliot Friedman reported yesterday that Pierre-Luc Dubois has informed the Jets that he plans to test free agency not this offseason, not next offseason, but in 2024. That's right. Pierre-Luc Dubois is a restricted free agent who needs a new contract. He will become an unrestricted free agent in two seasons. That's when his restricted free agent eligibility wears off. However, the big wrinkle in all of this is that obviously the Winnipeg Jets want to sign Pierre-Luc Dubois long term. He's got a qualifying offer in the ballpark of $6.25 million for this year. He has arbitration rights. You wonder what that arbitration case would look like. So the Jets are in a no situation here because it doesn't appear Dubois is open to a long-term contract. Do you try to work out a one-year deal so that you still have arbitration rights, you still have him as a restricted free agent, you still have an opportunity to work out one more contract, and you hope that you can convince him in the year that you can sign him long-term? Or, given the fact that you moved out Patrick Laine, do you look to move out Pierre-Luc Dubois? If this is a player intent on only having himself around for the next two seasons, at what point do the Winnipeg Jets have to explore a trade? Well, I'll, I'll start by saying it sucks for Winnipeg. 
uh, because <laughs> yeah, it does. You, you you had a guy who you moved who also didn't want to be in Winnipeg. And you move right. him for a guy who's now telling you two years away from him being a UFA, guess what, guys? When my contract's up, I'm out. I'm gone. I yeah. think I think this is this is a, a a problem for a couple teams because we saw this with Columbus, ironically, right with Artemi Panarin. He didn't want to be in Columbus. Pierre-Luc Dubois didn't want to be in Columbus. I think there's specific markets around the NHL where guys just don't want to be. For whatever reason, they don't want to be in specific markets. And I think it's going to be very, very difficult for, for franchises like Columbus, like Winnipeg, to attract high-name, high-dollar free agents because, quite honestly, guys just don't want to play in those markets. I think yeah. it takes a special type of player, a Mark Shifley, Blake Wheeler type, to want to play in Winnipeg. Look, I've been there. I, I, I understand why, why I let me preface by saying I I enjoyed my time in Winnipeg. I don't know if I would want to be there in January when it's 30 below and we're in the middle of a blizzard. Like that's hard. So I I understand why some guys may not want to be there. That's some people just aren't cut out for that. But mm-hmm. it's it's a tough situation for Winnipeg. It, it it sucks and I think if you're the Jets, I think you may have to think about trying to move him again. The problem is People now know if they play the long wait game, they may have a chance to sign him. So it diminishes the return on what you would get for him if you are able to move him. So here's how I'd play it if I'm the Winnipeg Jets. Sign him to a one-year deal. Kick the can down the road a year. Try to put your best foot forward in in negotiating with Pierre-Luc Dubois to push him off of the idea that he's going to go to unrestricted free agency. And if you can't, hope he has another monster year. Hope Pierre-Luc Dubois continues to get better and better and better because all that does is drive up his trade value and you move on from him next offseason. I don't think you do it now, but I do think you buy yourself a year, see what you can do, and then if it doesn't work, move on from him. Move on from him. That's what you're going to have to do if you're the Winnipeg Jets. Those are your one-timers. Brought to you by Paul Powell. More lawyers, less fee for today, Thursday, June 23rd. We're back to wrap it up next. It's Catching Up with Chapman. When the guy wouldn't stop talking, we had no choice but to give him his own segment. It's time for Catching Up with Chapman. All right, Ryan. uh, Short, short Catching Up with Chapman here, but... uh, you and I actually talked a little bit about it during one of the breaks and the finale of Obi-Wan Kenobi. I still have not been able to watch the finale yet, but first five episodes I watched, I, I've enjoyed it so far. I know there's been some criticisms about it, and I mean, I understand some of that. Is, yeah, I mean, people are going to criticize everything today, it seems like, but um, I've enjoyed it so far, and I, I what I really have enjoyed about it is probably something that a lot of people haven't talked about. Like, they're too busy being disappointed about certain aspects of it. (laughs) But I love that Vader is just so badass in this this series. Like, I wasn't expecting to see so much of him. But, man, he is. He's ruthless. Like, he is. I think he's worse than he was in the original trilogy. Mm -hmm. Like, he's just more evil. I mean... It, it would stand to reason that he would be absolutely ruthless and that he would give himself completely to the dark side. Like, 
There are a lot of complaints and, and rightful complaints about Star Wars as a whole. One thing that Disney has done well with Star Wars is Darth Vader. One thing that they have done is is really increase the lore of how evil and manipulative and terrible a dictator Darth Vader got, was. So for that, I'm eternally grateful. Yeah, me too. It's been awesome. Game 5. Game 5 tomorrow will be on the air 4 to 6 right here on Fox Sports Las Vegas.